Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It's a very short portion of scripture, and it says this, and she, meaning Mary, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Everybody say amen. Amen. The second verse I want to read is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The third one we're going to go to is a little bit lengthy, so I want you to brace yourself. It's about, I don't know, eight verses long or so. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. And it says, And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen, meaning the wise men, the star that they seen in the east went before them, Say, it went before them. Until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This will be the last portion of scripture that I read. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Everybody say, The glory of the Lord. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about pursuing the presence with a C, meaning the presence of God. Um, I believe that there is two different approaches to ministering the word of God. I believe there's, number one, there's this creativity, uh, you know, this God-given creativity that he gives you to communicate the word. And then there's this other side. For me, it's the most important, that we speak what God says. We don't just want to teach good sermons. We don't want to just preach messages that maybe tickle your ears. We, we want to give a thus saith the Lord. We're living in a day and age where we, we need to know what God is saying to us as individuals, what he's saying to the church, what he's saying to the people all across the globe. So for me, that's probably the most important. So I got this little creative idea about uh, preaching about pursuing the presence with a C. Everybody say presence of God instead of presence like gifts. 
There's many times in our walk with Jesus that I have personally found in my own life after almost walking with the Lord almost 20 years, there's this trap that you can fall into. After you pursue him for a while, you start off on the right foot. You pursue him and you love him and you're devoted to him. You read your word, you pray, you go to church every Sunday out of, a, out of just this pure, unadulterated, untainted desire to just love on him. But then something happens after going to church for a little while. You begin to pursue his hand versus his heart. You begin to put your focus on, you know, what have you called me to, God? You've called me, I have a destiny and I have a purpose. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You guys hear me preach on that all the time. And there's nothing wrong to, to want a husband or want a wife or want a family or want a nice car or want a house. But, but somewhere along the line, we have, we have to shift our focus off of what God has in his hands and go after his heart. Because when we pursue him wholeheartedly and we pursue his heart by default, because of your pursuit of him, you get the very thing that your heart desires. Because the Bible says that when we seek him earnestly, when we desire him earnestly, he will withhold no good gift from you. But, but what I found out is after years of pursuing him and then I began to pursue things, not only did I lose him, and I didn't get the things either. So we as a church, as people, as Christ followers, as disciples of his... We are entering into, I believe, a season where God is hitting the reset button on how we do church and how we live out our relationship with him. Can somebody say amen to that? I believe we're in a day and age where God is stripping, stripping away all of our little comforts, and, and we're going back to the ancient ways of pursuing him just because of who he is, because he loves us, because he died for us, because of the great gift that God is to us in our own personal lives, amen? So I believe that God is reawakening a passion and a desire in his bride to pursue him like never before. The Bible says if we, if we lift him up, he'll draw all people to himself. Look at somebody and say, he's coming. He's coming soon. When I think about all these scenes, um, I can't help, as I read those few different scenes, that we kind of underlined in, in Luke and Matthew and, and Luke again with the birth of Jesus in the manger with the wise men and with the shepherds and the angels. Um, there was this song that came out. Everybody's familiar with it. And it's called um, Silent Night. Everybody know that song, Silent Night? Silent Night, Holy Night. I started, I started thinking about this as I'm looking at these three different scenes because that night was anything but silent. I mean, th think about it. You have this Christ child being born, right? And you have these, these wise men who see a star in the east. I mean, this star that drops over the manger and beams into the place like a spotlight. I mean, that's anything but silent to me. Not to mention you've got some shepherds over the hillside a few miles away where this angel or angels, it says heavenly host. A host means a lot of them. So there's this huge choir that is in front of these shepherds singing glory to God in the highest. That night, that silent night was anything but silent in my mind. Somebody say amen. amen. I researched this song and it came out actually in the 1800s. Does anybody know how it was developed? There was a priest, they called him Father, so that you'll, you Catholics will appreciate this. Nobody laughed. My mom grew up Catholic. 
So there was this Catholic gentleman in the 1800s, and he was going to have a Christmas Eve service. And back then, they had like organs. They didn't, I mean, maybe, maybe they had some guitars, some acoustics, but very little instruments. They didn't have the electric guitar. Or they didn't have the drums like we do today. So it was very stripped down. And this priest wanted to have a really nice Christmas Eve service. The problem was is that the organ broke. And so he brought somebody in to try to fix it. Long story is the technician couldn't get it fixed in time. So he's walking down the street. He's getting it's a few hours away from service, and he's walking through the street, and he comes up with this short song, Silent Night. And this is how the, the song was developed. And, and I was thinking to myself that this was no silent night at all. And I begin to tie this, this Silent Night song with the history before Jesus was born. If, as I was reading in the book of Malachi, I mean, most of you may not know this, but at the, the end of Malachi, Jesus, God is giving a prophecy about Jesus that there's going to be a messenger that's going to come. Well, God was really disappointed with that generation because they begin to seek other things. They begin to esteem other things above God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, so what happens is, is God goes silent between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. So the last book of the Old Testament in the new book, which would be the New Testament, Matthew, there's this 400 years of silence. God goes absolutely silent to a generation, doesn't say a word. From the book of Malachi all the way to Matthew, there is no prophets, there is no priest. The word of God is scarce in that day. God speaks to nobody. Look at somebody and say, that's not good. The God who they knew to be present with them, the, the, God who, the God who physically dwelt over the Ark of the Covenant, where you could physically see his presence like a pillar of fire, the God who had parted the Red Sea, the God who made a way in the desert, who fed his people with quail and with manna from heaven, the God who split the rock in two and made water so that they had some sustenance in the wilderness. This God that they knew to be alive and tangible now was saying nothing for 400 years. So today, I want to minister a message called Silent Night. Look at somebody and say, Silent Night. And I want to give you a few principles that may apply to your own personal lives. Because how many know when you're saved just long enough, there are seasons, there are times that each of us go through, even though we love Jesus, even though we fast, even though we pray, even though we go to church on Sunday morning, even though we seek him with our whole heart, there are times and seasons that every believer will go through where God seems to be silent. Everybody say silent. silent. And I want to I address a couple of these reasons why. The first one I'll start with, and after we kind of cut you a little bit, then I'll, then I'll kind of encourage you if that's okay this morning. But I can't help but draw this correlation because one of the reasons that God went silent in those days because, was because of the disobedience of his people. They began to love other gods. Now, I know our generation, we would never say we love other gods, but it's not hard to see that sometimes we spend a little bit more time on Facebook than we do with Jesus. Now, now we're not building calves. 
We're not building, you know, monuments and worshiping them. But God says anything that we put in our lives above him, anything we spend more time with, anything that we give more of our affection to than him, God calls that very thing an idol. So that meaning your kids can be an idol. Facebook can be an idol. Instagram can be an idol. Working, even though it looks good, can become an idol. And so what God does in the Old Testament, he withdraws his presence. He withdraws his word because of the disobedience of his people. And so for 400 years, God doesn't say absolutely nothing to his people until we find ourselves in Matthew when this Christ child is born. And even then, there still was no prophets until... The book of Malachi is fulfilled in which there is a word that says this, behold, I send my messenger before you and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom my delight is. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. And this was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. What was his name? John the Baptist, the man who ate locusts and who ate honey. This guy was the messenger of Jesus who would go before the Lord. And what was his main message? I want you to talk back to me this morning. What was his main message? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Before God really does anything in our lives, there has to be a turning from our sin. There has to be, and this is, if you look at this, God didn't do anything in the land. Not one healing took place before repentance proceeded. Y'all ain't talking to me this morning because I know because it requires something from us. We can't buy a blessing, but what we can do is we can position ourselves in such a way where God can give us the manna that he desires, where he can give us the promises that he desires. There is a part that we play with God when we partner up with him and repent from certain things. It can actually open up the windows of heaven and position us for the promise. Look at somebody and say, I don't know about you. Come on, say it with conviction this morning. I don't know about you, but I want to be positioned for my promise. And so the first thing before Jesus does his first miracle, think about this. The son of God, he's allowing his cousin John, it was his cousin, allowing him to be the forerunner. And Jesus has miracles all locked up in him. There is lepers that are going to be healed, and that's all those miracles are locked up in him. The five loaves and the two fish are about to be released. A great miracle where 5,000, well, they say 5,000, not including men, excuse me, not including women and children. That means if there was one wife and one child there, there was 15,000 people who fed off of five loaves and two fish. Think about it. All these miracles are locked up in Jesus, and he withholds until what? Until the people repent until they turn. And so many times in our lives, it's not every time, and we'll get to that, but many times we will go through things in our lives because God God is waiting to release certain things in our lives, but he's waiting for us to turn, to change some things in our lives. Do you know, God will never override your free will. God does, can, can you, can I tell you this? If we could see him this morning, I can tell you the Holy Spirit is here and he, I don't, he's not anxious, but he's, deeply desiring us to, for us to position ourselves so he can do what he desires to do in our lives. He's waiting this morning. He's waiting for us to put away certain things. He's waiting for us to take our rightful place. That's what righteousness is. Because if there's right standing, then there's wrong standing. Meaning you can be standing in the wrong place. 
Sometimes we're standing in wrong relationships. Oh, y'all don't want to talk to the preacher this morning. Sometimes we're standing in the wrong church. This ain't the wrong one, though. Sometimes we're standing in the wrong position in our heart. That's what I mean when I'm talking about repentance. Repentance means to turn from one direction into another. And God sits here. The Holy Spirit is here this morning waiting for us to position ourselves so that we can receive everything that God has for us. And many times, God's silence is his way to tell us, turn positions. Amen? Look at somebody and nudge them and say, turn Look at somebody else and say, change positions. So before Jesus would do his first miracle, he sent his cousin, John the Baptist, to say, repent for the kingdom. You know when the kingdom comes? When there's mighty repentance. I've studied revival like nobody's business. I've studied many different ones. And the, 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 the reoccurring factor in all of these revivals was repentance. You know, there's some people don't, don't need to repent of uh, doing, uh, you know, some people are in this room that don't need to ch- change their position because they're not in a state of sexual sin or they're not living outside of marriage. But sometimes we need to change our heart. Sometimes the greatest sin, you know what it is? Apathy. Coldness to the Lord. They have no desire to seek him. So you may, not, you may not smoke, you may not chew or run with them that do, but, but maybe you are cold towards Jesus. Maybe when the Holy Spirit is moving in the room, you're like, I don't know why all these people are acting like this, but, I, but you remain unmoved and unchanged and untouched. Sometimes there has to be a repentance of the heart posture. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Sometimes we need to get reignited with the fire of the Holy Spirit with a passionate desire to seek him wholeheartedly. I was talking to somebody that I know to be, I've always known to be on fire for the Lord this week. And he called me. He said, Donnie, I'm in a terrible place right now. And I was kind of shocked to hear this. And I know this person to be one of the most moral people on the earth. I mean, he loves the Lord and he, I just know him to be right standing and upstanding. He's always been an example to me. And I was kind of leaning in. I'm like, what's, what could be so bad? And he says, man, my wife is on fire, but I've started this business and I have no desire to wake up in the morning like I used to, to pray, to seek God, to go to church. He said, I'm still doing all those things. As a matter of fact, I'm upset because my wife's on fire for the Lord and I'm not. He said, Every day, he said it irritates my flesh. And he said, I know this is wrong. And this guy, I'm telling you, he'll quote the word front and back. He's a, little, he's a revivalist at heart. And so he didn't need to repent of smoking or drinking or sleeping around. He needed to repent in his heart for being cold towards the Lord. Can I tell you one way way the Holy Spirit moves in the individual's lives? Always remember this phrase. Nudge somebody and say, remember this. The blood always precedes the Spirit. Remember that. John the Baptist said what? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom could not go to work until the blood or repentance started. The blood, meaning God's forgiveness, repentance, takes place before the Spirit comes. Did you hear what I said? When we ask God, where are you at in our lives? Why aren't you moving? 
Where are you at? I can't feel you. You're not speaking. Everything seems silent to me. Always remember this. The blood goes before the spirit. When the blood comes, it comes and washes and cleanses and makes a landing place for the Holy Spirit. Did you just hear what I said? The blood of Jesus will come. He'll cleanse, then he fills. He cleanses, then he fills. Say, he cleanses, then he fills. This is why King David was so attractive to the Lord. How many know who King Saul is? You got King Saul. He's the very first king in the Bible. Can I teach you just for a moment? King Saul was the number one. He was the first king that God raised up. And then you have David right under him. Do you know the reason that David was chosen to be king over Saul eventually? When I think about this story, David was way worse than Saul. Saul was a moral man. David slept around. I mean, he killed his best friend on the line of battle. He, he, he was a habitual sinner. He sinned over and over again. He, murdered. he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. Saul did none of these things. But the problem with Saul is he wasn't repentant. And think about it. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. How was David a man after his own heart? It's because David repented quickly. But if you look at David's record, you don't see him making the same mistake over and over and over. He made his mistakes, but he quickly repented. He quickly turned. And this is what God loves. He loves the repentant heart. So no matter what you've, no matter what you've done, no matter how, you've, how far you feel from the Lord, no matter the mistakes you've made, always remember, it's not about the mistake you've made. It's Here's the issue. Do you have a quick, repenting heart? And then the blood always will precede the spirit. And then where you think you've left off and where you feel there's been this big gap, you know what I know God to be? He makes up for lost time. When we, when we get back in right standing, he puts us right back as if we've never lost any time at all. He puts you on a fast track. Amen? And so this was the key thing about David. He was quick to repent. When I think about disobedience, when I think about the silence of God, I'm seeing a lot of that right now in America. Am I the only one? It seems like God has fallen silent. Even with all politics and all of this stuff, it seems like, where is God in all of this? It seemed like he was speaking all the way up and now, now nobody knows what's going to happen and everything seems to fall silent. You, you know what I believe? I believe that God sometimes goes silent on us because he wants, he wants to allow us to see the results of our own decisions. So we turn. I know those are hard words, but this, that's God's sovereignty. He wants us to see what our own, our own um, decisions have done to our own lives. Amen? Because here's what he's doing. He's giving us time to repent. He's giving us time to turn. He's giving, giving us time to get back in right standing with him. Amen? The second reason God goes silent and we go through these silent nights is because it's a perseverance test. It's not always disobedient. I, I, I spoke with, uh, I, I went through a tough season and I was at, I felt the height of my ministry. This was almost 10 years ago. And I was preaching everywhere and I just thought I felt on top of the world. I was living morally, nothing, nothing. I wasn't living wrong whatsoever. And all of a sudden, it's like almost overnight, everything hit the fan. 
and it seemed like the bottom dropped out. I wasn't getting any speaking engagements, and, and my friends, uh, they were like, you know, what'd you do wrong? And it just seemed like everything in my life that could go wrong went wrong, and it had nothing to do with disobedience. And so for the next three years, God was allowing me to go through this perseverance test to see if I would still pursue him even though he wasn't blessing me. So listen to me. Your greatest test as a believer, your greatest test will come after you get a word from God. In the book of Matthew, if I, I don't have time to go there right now. I don't have the reference in front of me. But it says that the, when, when, when the enemy came to Jesus, it was for the word's sake. It didn't even say for Jesus' sake. For the word's sake. You know why you're going through what you're going through right now? The word is being tested over your life. The word. That word you got when you were a little girl, when you were a little boy. That word about ministry. The word will get tested in your life. It's not because of you. It's because of the word. Somebody say the word. The enemy comes after the word that's spoken over your life because that word is a seed. And guess what? That seed, that word, it will produce something. It has a future. It has an expected end. The enemy can sense the fruit. You know what saddens me? Oftentimes the enemy senses what's in us more than we do. <laughs> do you know that you have greatness on the inside of you? Do you know that there's seeds that God put in you as a little girl, as a little boy? There's, there's, there's an expected end. God has a purpose. He has a plan. But what happens is, is we get attacks from the enemy and we're like, Lord, well, why am I under attack if I have a calling? Not knowing the reason why you're under attack is because you have a calling. And God will allow you to go through seasons of time because he's wanting to test your perseverance. The strength of steel is tested based on the weight it can bear. And God will allow you to go to your breaking point, not because he doesn't love you, but because he's testing. Not because he doesn't love you, because he's training you. I like to call it training for reigning. Nudge somebody and say, you're, train you're in training. Come on, look at somebody else and say, you're in training. There's many things I love about God. Most I do. But most preachers will not admit this. There are a couple of things that I don't necessarily, certain characteristics and approaches that he uses that I don't like. And, and I can handle things when I'm going through seasons of testing if he wasn't so silent. I'm a country boy. So I've kind of worked on not, I don't know if you guys hear the accent, but we, 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 use, this, we use this phrase called playing possum. Does everybody know what playing possum is? If you know the outdoors like I do, okay, so a possum, it looks like a giant rat is what it looks like. And they are ugly. I mean, they're as ugly as sin. And they're scary looking. Well, when you, when you go up to them or they feel threatened, what they do is they fall on the ground and they act like they're dead. So they don't move or when a big, and they do it because they have no other, you know, they have no other defense mechanism. So what they do is they play possum. You ever heard playing dead in front of a bear? Like if a bear comes, that's what playing possum is. God, when you go through seasons of testing, oftentimes, and you cry out and you say, God, where are you? Oftentimes he's, he's playing possum. 
That's what he does. He, he acts like he doesn't hear you. You're in your deepest pain. You're in your, you have all these questions. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, I'm sick in my body and you're not doing anything. Lord, I just lost someone I really, really love and you're not saying anything. God, my finances are all out of whack and I don't have a job, Lord. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Lord, I'm going crazy. Lord, these kids are gonna drive me nuts and you're looking for direction from the Lord. And God plays possum. God's favorite game I'm going to tell on God a little bit this morning, is playing hide and seek. He doesn't fall silent because he's rejecting you. He's falling silent because he's testing you. He wants to see, will you still pursue me even when your life doesn't look like what I promised? Even though I'm playing possum, will you still seek me? Will you still come after me in spite of your situation looking completely opposite of what I promised? Your sea cannot be parted until you come to your Red Sea. There is no parting of the sea without a sea. So God will allow you to come to the, to the, to the brink or to the, fork road, to the fork in the road to where, Lord, I don't know what else I'm going to do. How else will your faith grow unless it's tested? Do you know how I've learned and am learning, I'm still learning and still in training, how to hear the voice of the Lord? Let me just tell you this. Saints who tell me they hear the voice of the Lord all the time scare me because the truth is you don't. The truth of the matter is, is I hear him a whole lot less than I do hear him. Truth of the matter is sometimes it takes till Sunday morning, 4 a.m. before I hear him. And I'm like, Lord, I'm desperate. I need a word. What am I supposed to say to your people? Can you imagine how to feel, how you feel every, every, every Sunday? Because sometimes he's the God of the 11 o'clock hour. But until you're pushed to your waking in, until your back is up against the wall, your faith will not be tested. I've learned to hear God from not hearing him. Because it's put something in me that there's this innate desire, this passionate desire to keep listening for him. Because if you don't pursue listening to him, you'll never hear him. Some people are like, I don't hear God. Here's a question. Do you sit before him and listen? Do you pursue him and listen? Or does your not hearing God look like I'm on Facebook and whenever you desire to speak, God, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't speak conveniently. He's very inconvenient. You have to carve out time with him. You have to spend time with him. You have to pursue him. You have to give him your whole heart in order for you to hear him. So God is great at hide and seek. And the Lord will use his silence in your life to test your response. I said he will use his silence to test your response. To, listen to this. To see if you'll still do the right thing even when he's not speaking. Let me give you an example. My son, Cohen, he's eight years old. And I didn't like homework, so I get it. There'll be times I tell him exactly what to do or when he's brushing his teeth. Either one, there's all different kinds of things that I tell him to do. And what I'll do is I'll walk away. And then I'll just stay, you know, right around the corner just to see if he's going to still do what I told him to do. And sometimes he fails the test. And many times he passes it. But this is what the Lord does. Many times in our lives, he'll tell us to do something. He'll give us an instruction I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to be with this person. I want you to take this job. 
And then he withdraws and doesn't say anything. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he wants to see if you'll stand the test of time without him having to re-instruct you. Listen, if you're wondering what the Lord is about to do in your life, let me just share this with you. Just keep doing the thing that he told you last and you'll be okay. That deserves a hand clap right there. That's a, that's a divine instruction. Just go back to what he told you before. If you feel like the Lord lifted off of your life, just go back to the last instruction he gave you and you'll find him. Nudge somebody and say, go back to the last instruction and you'll find him. My next point, an encouragement to you. And this has been the hardest one for me as a believer. But it's seeking God in the silence. Seeking God in the silence. Everybody say, seeking God in silence. As I said before, I experience more silence from God than I receive instruction. And when I look back over my walk with the Lord, the breakthroughs that I have seen personally in my life were birthed in seasons of silence. Listen, pursuit without immediate results touches the heart of God. Did you hear that? Pursuits without the expectations of immediate results touches his heart. Can I make it practical? You know what I thought about this week? All these thousands of years, God has been after his bride, and she is still not where he wants her to be. Think about it. When we go through prolonged seasons where we don't see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives, God is allowing you to feel a piece of his heart. He's been waiting for a bride for over 2,000 years. You know how the Bible talks about we're the bride and he's the bridegroom and there's going to be this great marriage supper in the book of Revelation. But when you think about it, this bride that he has married is still wayward. You think your promises have been taking time. God is still waiting for his bride to become what she's supposed to be. Now think about this, but he's still seeking even in silence. He's still seeking her. He's still seeking us to become what he's called us to become, but he doesn't stop pursuing. So when, we allow, when he allows these prolonged seasons where we don't see the promises of God in our life, you know what? There's a special blessing that God bestows on the individual that keeps seeking even when they don't see results. You know what I have found in my pursuits with God? It's not necessarily those divine moments that change me. It's those moments, those prolonged seasons where I'm seeking him, when I'm seeking him and I'm not hearing him, when I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm not seeing the breakthrough, because it's when you're doing those things, you don't even realize it because it's slow change. But as you're pursuing him, as you're getting in his presence more and more, as you're praying, as you're fasting, as you're seeking, as you're asking, as you're knocking, God is changing you from glory to glory. He's changing your character and making his character your character. He's putting fruit in you that you don't even see. He's putting some divine things that you can't see in your heart, in your mind that you cannot see as you're seeking him. I preached this message just a few weeks ago. Remember when the Bible says he cleansed the lepers and it says as they went, they got healed? 
Come on, as you take one step, as you come to church, as you pray, as you fast, as you ask, as you knock, you are being changed and transformed into the image of God over and over again. So it's in the seeking. I'm talking about praying when you can't hear him. That's the kind of seeking in silence I'm talking about. Praying even though you don't hear him. When you choose to seek in spite of silence. When you're seeking him when you can't seem to find him. When you worship him when you can't feel him. Come on, every time I'm up here, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm feeling him. I'm worshiping so I can feel him. But we're passionately pursuing the, the just walk by faith, meaning you don't have to feel it. You just have to do what is right. And after doing what's right for a period of time, God will allow the manifested presence of Almighty God influence and infiltrate your life as you do the right thing and pursue him. Come on, keep going to the house of the Lord. Come on, keep praying. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep putting one foot in front of the other until you enter your promised land, no matter how silent God seems to be in your life. Look at somebody and say, seek in the silence. Seek in the silence. Look at somebody else and say, seek in the silence. I want you to think about this. Now, I know this whole theme I'm talking about is around that grand finale in the manger where those kings sought in silence. Think about how much time, day after day, going through the night season, following a star, did I hear from God? I hear the word of the Lord for somebody this morning. You did hear from the Lord. Keep seeking in silence. Keep seeking. Even though you don't see it yet, keep seeking. Even though you haven't seen the promise yet, keep pressing. Even though it hasn't manifested in your life, keep seeking like the wise men did. Keep pressing. Somebody say, keep pressing. Keep pressing. Keep pursuing. But think about this. David was anointed king, and I looked up this morning how long it took between the time he was anointed king to the time that he actually took the seat as king. He was a little boy when he got anointed. He had the word. You're going to be anointed. Samuel's going to anoint you. You're going to take Saul's position as king. You're going to rule and reign. And he had this word. And yet all these years go by. As a matter of fact, he was living in caves. He was running for his life. Have you ever had a word from the Lord and then you looked around at your life and say it couldn't look more opposite than what it does now? I'm called to lead in front of multitudes and you're at a small church. I'm called to touch the world, and yet I remain untouched from you, Lord. I can't even touch my family. I'm called to run a business, and I can't even manage my own finances. Come on, all of us have all these little promises that, that God has given us, and yet our lives look completely opposite. But look at, what, look at David, though. David was living in caves. His life looked completely opposite from the promise that God had given him. But he kept seeking. He kept pressing. As a matter of fact, many of David's words in the book of Psalms were these kind of words. Don't be silent to me, Lord. Don't be silent to your servant. He kept speaking to God. But here was David's approach to the Lord. He kept playing. He kept worshiping. He kept seeking God no matter what his life threw at him. 
he kept seeking, kept pursuing God with a worship-filled heart and life. Lastly, as you stand to your feet, So sometimes God is silent because of disobedience. Sometimes he's silent in our lives because he's bringing us through this, this perseverance test. Sometimes he's just wanting us to seek in the silence. But here's one of the biggest ones. I want you to remember. Can you just nudge somebody a little bit with your elbow? Some people don't want you to touch their hands, so just kind of nudge them a little bit. I want to remind you that God's silence, remember this, is strategic. Strategic. It's meaningful. It, it's purposeful. When God is silent in your life regarding any issue, it's for a reason. Somebody shared this with me the other day. I'm almost done. And they said... God has been, God answered these such and such prayers, but they weren't at the top of my prayer list. They were kind of at the bottom, but God did a miracle. I said, isn't it funny that the things that are most, you know, that weigh our hearts down the most, God seems to ignore those things for seasons. But I want you to remember this. It's not because God doesn't want to fulfill that thing, that dream that he's put in your heart. He's silent for a reason. One of God's main desires and one of the main reasons he created us for, was for worship. God loves to be sought. He loves to be pursued. You women know what I'm talking about. Even men know what I, I'm talking about. Even men like to be pursued. God has this kind of nature. He wants to be pursued. And I want you to remember this. If you, remember, if you don't remember anything else I've said this morning, Remember that God's silence in your life is strategic. Say it's strategic. I just feel this morning and when I was putting this message together, like there's somebody who has a promise in their life. They have this desire that they, they haven't seen come to pass. But you're going through this night season where God seems to be silent as if he has no intention on answering you. Has anybody felt like that in this season? Come on, be honest. Wave your hands at me so I know who I'm preaching to. So I'm preaching to this side. There's nobody over here. who You've prayed. You've fasted for that loved one. You've prayed, God, help me to kick this business off. God, help me save this marriage. And God's not speaking. This is my encouragement to you, that God's silence in this season of your life is strategic. And I feel like I feel like he like he wants me to say this is going to come to pass if you tarry. The Bible says write the vision down that he who reads it might run with it. I believe that's hey guy. Habakkuk. Thank you. Write the vision down. I got the H right. Write the vision down that he who reads it may run with it. And though it tarry, 
wait for it. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.